This is SaaS Scaled, the podcast where data meets action, with host Arman Shraki. Each week, Arman will be sitting down with CEOs and industry leaders from the technology sector, giving you the insight to innovate without reinventing the wheel. They'll discuss challenges, best practices, and how to identify the right metrics. So if you want to get to market faster and in a way that matters, then subscribe and join us every week as we discuss SaaS Scale. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at Curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y.com. Hello, welcome to another episode of SaaS Scale. I'm pleased to have Jan Andres with us uh, from Caligo. And Jan is the CEO and founder at the company. Uh, they are based in the, the Bay Area. Uh, hello and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you started actually the company? Sure. So let me start with myself. Uh, so I was born in, and raised uh, in, in my teen years in, in Sri Lanka and then uh, made the journey here to the U.S. about 30 plus years back. So I started uh, educationally uh, with a computer science background, used it for maybe two and a half years in my first job to get a good technical foundation. And since then, I've moved to the business side. I would say I cut my teeth and really learned the business side of the world as a consultant for this company called Cambridge Technology Partners, which was a well-known consulting company in, in the mid-90s, and really got exposed to a number of different technologies, small clients, dot-com clients, large banks, so on and so forth. And that's helped me make the transformation from a technical background to uh, a business person. And then in terms of uh, Saligo, we are a company that automates business processes by connecting various business applications in the enterprise together. We ultimately integrate these applications, uh, various data sources all together so that companies that have invested in the cloud, especially invested in SaaS, SaaS applications can get a better return on their investment. So everything that we do is really focused on automation, automating business process, whether it's a well-known business process or something that is ad hoc. I knew about the company. I heard about it. I didn't like myself being a data analytic guy, of course, but uh, I always pronounce it incorrectly. So thank you for correcting me today. But Seligo, yeah, no where did the name come from? I mean, how did you... <laughs> How did you uh, decide uh, on the name and what is the origin of the name? <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, the, the backstory is when I was looking for a name, it was important for me to find 
a name that was a single word that was short uh, and I thought easy to pronounce, but it's not. And so after going through this massive process myself, didn't hire anyone or anything, came up with the the, the term Soligo by combining two words, the word central and the word ligo, which is a Latin word to tie or to bind. So, and, and by the way, so this is back in mm. 2011. Uh, the, the vision then was to have this centralized SaaS platform mm. that can be used to be able to bind these various business applications together. And so that's how the name Sligo came by. And, and one funny story is the first time I tested the name uh, with uh, a close friend, they said, that sounds like an Italian gelato. Uh, and I was like, oh my, uh, is this the name I'm going to use? But I'm glad that I stuck with it. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. Uh, when you know it, it's easy <clears throat> to learn and it, it has a rhyme. It has a kind of harmony in it. That's nice. Uh, now, when it comes to really information, data, of course, automation, and then there are some other words that people use sometimes like workflow and other words. I just wanted to clarify at the beginning that we are talking about mostly automation here, not necessarily workflow, right? So in your case, uh, with the company, you guys are more about data automation not a, for example, workflow system that essentially people define the workflow and approval process yeah. and forms and, you know, it has to be, or maybe you are covering a little bit of both. I don't know. Just wanted to better understand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and so I think uh, this is, so look, everything that we do in the end is a form of a workflow. There is, okay. it has all the components of a, of a workflow. I think what you are describing is more of a traditional human centric workflow. I think you mentioned having forms and uh, that workflow might stop and then uh, based on human input, it might execute again. So that's uh, known typically as the, the BPM or BPA space that is an adjacent space. And is definitely uh, a space that we are ultimately moving towards because our ambition is to be an automation platform for the enterprise and to be able to automate various business processes or use cases uh, in, in different ways. Sometimes you have to use integration. Sometimes you've got to use human-centric workflow. Sometimes you've got to use robots to be able to do it. But where we stand today, our pedigree is around integration, being able to connect applications and, and data sources. But I do want to point out that that too is a workflow. It's just a, a slightly different workflow than the one that you're alluding to. I understand. So if I clarify or simplify my definition is if we look at automation as something that can run non-stop. So you can run it during the night and it will run. And workflow is something that you have to wait until some process is approved and then go to the next step. And then it may wait and then go to, the, maybe not, it, it may not be a universal definition, but 
if we kind of separate workflow from automation that way that you can run actually automation during the night because you're not waiting for anyone and you can just decide on different you know values and go forward and just actually most of the automation is happening at night to use the bandwidth and everything and the workflow has to happen during the time that people are involved so they can really manage the processes and everything in this case uh majority of the technologies that you are developing are mostly being utilized in non-stop way or it's being utilized in interaction with you know people that they need to have a say in order to go forward in the process yeah so i think that's a reasonable way in layman terms to describe it but maybe i'll make a few tweaks to what you you said so think of what we do as an integration workflow that is ultimately predominantly facilitating machines speaking to machines. You're taking data from one application. Mm -hmm. You might be executing some business logic, and then you might be sending that data to another application or three other applications. And, and so that might imply, since you use the term in the nighttime, that it's more of a so-called batch type process that runs on a scheduled basis. Absolutely, mm -hmm. that happens. But it's a lot more dynamic than mm -hmm. that. It can be based on, on real-time events. So I'll just come up with a, a quick example. Let's say there's a salesperson in Salesforce, salesforce.com, who's updating an opportunity or creating a new contact under an account. As soon as that record is updated, instantaneously, within milliseconds, that can trigger an entire workflow that might execute a bunch of business logic, and there is going to be an impact further downstream in another application or set of applications, right? So, so that's, again, but that's ultimately, it's all happening uh, in a continuous basis. And I think that's the, the key differentiator that you brought up. It's not stopping yeah. for human input. Now, certainly there, we are doing hybrid things. Uh, for example, we might send this data to a collaboration tool such as Microsoft Teams or Slack, and that flow might stop there until a user takes uh, certain actions and then it might re-execute again as well. So in saying all of this, uh, I think where I'm trying to take this uh, segment is that there's consolidation now, there's convergence happening because ultimately workflows are, there are different types of workflows, but there's a bunch of cross-pollination happening and hence why we uh, eventually will be doing those human-centric workflows uh, within our platform and allowing our customers to do it within our a single platform rather than having to go acquire multiple different tools to do different types of workflows. Yeah. Right on. Makes perfect sense. No, I can see many use cases that you need actually both and you cannot just choose one versus the other. So that's perfect. Now, Precisely. of course, there is a cost and yeah, and of course, there's a cost. There are some time involved to make these integrations and automations and workflow, everything in place. But then you get your return on investment because then afterwards, of course, it's more efficient. It's 
you are getting, you know, the um, things done faster, better, cheaper. Now, from your perspective, is it just a matter of when and not if for organizations to move to that direction? Or from your perspective, it's more like it's just a matter of size. When you get to a certain size, you have to do it. There's no way around it. But if you don't get to that size, you may never need that kind of automation, intelligence, integration, all of these kind of, you know, uh, processes. Yeah. So the the answer is is yes. If it's not a question of if, it's just a question of when. The one caveat that I will add, though, is ultimately, just like in anything in business or in, in life, you you're trying to solve a particular problem, right? You're not just trying to uh, automate these use cases and build these flows to to just do something. It is you have a certain end game in mind. You're trying to solve something. And as long as you've thought through that particular business process uh, and the automation correctly, then 100% it's just a question of you have a reason for doing it and it's just a question of when you're going to get that ROI, even though sometimes it can be complex. Yeah. And and that's true 100% of the time. And, and look, we've got a lot, more than 5,000 customers, so we see this day in, day out in, in various different industries and various different company sizes as well. Uh and, and from your perspective, this is something that uh, it has gotten to the point that companies can come in and just use these technologies and tools and just do it themselves. Yes, self-service, no code matter, or it it is more practical to actually, you know, set it up with some kind of, you know, consultants and with some specialists who know how to do it. But then after the words it's kind of done and then you don't have to have a lot of you know uh, technical people and developers involved to maintain yeah so the way i would respond to that is there are different types of products out there in in the market so we belong to the space called integration platform as a service or ipass for for short and if you really think about the this iPath space, roughly speaking, there are two broad categories. One is the first generation of these iPath players. They built their product maybe 15, 20 years back. And then there is the next gen, next generation platforms. We certainly are in the next generation camp. Even though the company was started in 2011, we decided to rebuild a new product and launched it in 2016, learning from our experiences before, which is a story in of itself. But as I like to say, it was one of the best decisions that we made as a company uh, while painful in the moment. And uh, what's important about that is we then built a product having experienced the business problem and, and maybe built a solution that was not as ideal as we wanted it to be to allow both technical, highly technical IT developer type users to use the product, as well as to allow uh, 
a, what I term a, a tech savvy business user to use the product as well. And and if I were to double click on that real quick, it is the the user who knows the underlying business process or the use case that they want to automate. If you know about it, uh, if you know the underlying systems and the data, but you're not technical, uh, we don't want you to take a back seat and just be able to offload that to, to IT. We want you to be part of it. Now we do understand that sometimes when you're working with APIs, it can be, it can get pretty complex fairly quickly. And so our job is to dumb it down as much as possible. So the, the mantra that we have as an XGen path is to say, some of some use some business users should be able to implement some use cases, not all use cases, and that's the standard that we've mm-hmm. really tried to drive towards. So, which ultimately means both IT and business users can work side by side. Certain business processes that need to be automated uh, are very central to the enterprise, like like a a quote to cash uh, type um, business process. Mm-hmm. And that might be done entirely by IT and others, uh, let's say, more of a customer support or HR-centric business process might be outsourced or uh, the the business users, that particular department might be empowered to go build it. So that's the mantra that we have. So essentially, the 80-20 rules uh, for power users to be able to do a lot of things, but also there are some you know, of these use cases that developers get the power that they need, the flexibility to really go there and just do, you know, certain things. So um, I have seen this in many different domains that that 80-20 rules that in analytics, the same, we are bringing 80% of the power to power users, but for those 20% of the things that are so sophisticated, then we let the super user or developers to get involved and then we give them the you know ultimate power and flexibility to be able to do whatever they want, and that seems to be a model that works very well for most industries. Uh, so, so in 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 in, th- in this case, when you are really working with data, you are you know uh, connecting different data, doing the workflow, doing the automation. Uh, how does it work as a platform as a service essentially the way you are designing are you kind of you are not a data warehouse you are not a kind of bringing data in one place you are piping data but you are not storing data is it correct uh that is correct so it's transient we don't uh we're not a data repository we we might store the data uh on a temporary basis until the data is securely and safely delivered. But beyond that, we are not in the business of then trying to replicate data from various different sources. That's also a pattern uh, to solve this problem from a, a prior era. It certainly doesn't scale, I think, in, in this modern era with so many different SaaS applications that come and go. It's, I think it's untenable. So according to many people, we are exactly at the moment that we are going to see a lot of machine intelligence involved in the future and increasingly more and more. And I can believe that a story because I recently moved to Austin 
And just during the last few weeks, I have seen a few companies that are either changing the line of business here or they are not really doing what they used to do before. Uh, for example, one of them was a marketing company helping you to write different articles, blogs, books, everything successful. All of a sudden, AI came in, they changed the business, the whole business changed overnight almost. There are a few other examples, one of them I met last evening in an event. So would you agree with such a thing that we are at that point that we are going to see a lot of these machine intelligence and AI and artificial intelligence involved? And if that's the case, then how do you see that may impact the data automation, the kind of workflows, the integration and working with data in different systems and applications? Yeah, so at a, at a high level, I'd be hard-pressed to think of any software company or let's narrow it down to SaaS companies that's not going to be impacted by all the advances in AI and machine learning and how it's going to impact their business model. And I'm not talking about for them to run their business, I'm, I'm talking more about the product itself, the offering that they come out with. And certainly that's absolutely true in the space that we're in, right? If you think about it, we started this conversation by saying that we are an automation company focused on automation through integration so that the, the term automation in of itself, of course, you can use AI to make it uh, a more seamless experience. And, and that's not to say, uh, and I've, uh, ironically, I've gotten this question from some, from some folks as well as to whether, Hey, uh, what you guys do, uh, this integration platform as a service business, is that going to be redundant? because the, the machines can just go ahead and, and do it. That's not going to happen. Certainly, at least not in uh, any time soon. And, and in order to, for that to happen, I think there's got to be some massive other uh, advances because integration is, is not simple. It in, involves APIs. It involves every system has been customized by in this modern era by a customer and uh, and ultimately what we do is we're we're trying to do something very specific tailored to a particular customer and and a use case to accomplish a certain automation if there are two or ten customers doing the same automation they're guaranteed to be uh, different from each other right so that said, there are also lots of commonalities. And uh, let's just take a, a random example. Let's say there are customers connecting Zendesk uh, with, uh, with Salesforce, right? Zendesk is a, a tool used either for customer support or internal uh, IT uh, ticketing. And, and there are just a number of use cases there. And if there are thousands of companies ultimately building that uh, type of automation, 
the the commonalities there is something just to use a low hanging fruit as an example and and certainly by no means is is it limited to this that is a great example of how ai can be used uh because if i'm the the hundredth customer trying to do this uh there's a certain pattern established before why do i have to start from scratch yeah there's no reason why i should start from scratch uh, a machine should be able to ask me the right questions and progressively go build it out entirely and uh instead of me having to build it and and ideally uh and, and i think that is fairly straightforward to to do using ai it's then can it then go test it automatically because ultimately you have to uh go against production systems or a sandbox to be able to do that and and how soon can you get it done what's the time to value how much is that going to compress can you do things now that were beyond the typical user can you get into advanced use cases and and further uh provide value these are the exciting topics that we are suddenly discussing here internally and by the way it's not limited to only just building one of these workflows but it's also the the management of it once it's running in in production and that's an area where we've used ai way ahead of the curve to be able to go classify the different errors that occur when when a flow is running in production and be able to present that to users in a meaningful way all using machine learning so this is something that we've had for now 3 years i think and and then also attempt to uh do self healing as well so these are all uh use cases that uh we think are going to be really powerful the the maintenance part we've already done and been very successful with but there's a lot more we can do yeah exactly so uh rather than really thinking that you know in the very near future talking about the next 5 years or so uh you know be able to just ask ai to really totally replace these integrations and these automations yeah that's very hard to believe but what i have seen in action that is happening and is probably will happen better and more in the next some years is increased productivity so for example there is a company that i spoke with and they had a number of python developers let's say 40 50 of these developers and they said when we leveraged using the ai now we can really just get much better productivity probably with 25 people rather than 45 to do the same thing and the ones that we could replace was the ones that was were more based kind of level of uh, you know the python programming and doing the algorithms and everything because that part seems to be not doable so i there is another a blog post that was uh, posted today that was about the percentage of productivity that different segments of the market are getting today from this technology and one of them was coding that essentially you can write a smarter code now if you leverage some of these new technologies internally for example we use some technologies that tell us the quality of the code we have or detects of the box for us or these kind of things that are reality reality used and all of these impacting really 
productivity a lot. So, um, so, uh, so you're right. I mean, it's more about really how to leverage those kind of technologies to be able to detect some of these errors in order to, you know, ha not having, uh, you know, the problems uh, in action when data has been integrated or, for example, boosting the productivity. But the productivity uh, boosting is a real story, it seems, as of now, looking at these technologies. Yeah, so just taking a, t taking a quick step back, right? When we talk about AI here internally, we always talk about it in two different ways. One is how can we use AI to make a better product that is going to help our users be more productive, as, as you said, and, and we are obsessive about that. The second is how can we use AI in our business to make the business more efficient, whether that's using AI to write certain pieces of code that will go into the product, or whether it's using AI to answer support tickets or uh, create documentation or write emails or, or what have you, right? So one is more to run the business, the other is putting it in the product so that your end customers, your partners will benefit from it. And so that's the way we think about it. And I totally agree. In the end, I think, uh, certainly I'm not technical anymore, but uh, writing code the way we used to is likely going to be a thing of the past, right? Why do it uh, when a machine can likely write better code, which you can then review and, and change as, as needed? <clears throat> Yeah, or people can get help and write code and machine reviews it. So either way, they can work with each other. And at the end, it's a better Precisely. Yeah. Precisely. It's yeah. more efficient and exactly. likely better. But, it, but it's, again, using, taking a larger problem and breaking it down and then using AI for the segments that make the most sense. I think that's the, the mantra that I have right now. Uh, and as this evolves, then maybe we can look at it maybe at a, from a higher level. Uh, and, and you are the founder and CEO of Celigo. Uh, you started the company, as you said, 2011. You decided to take a bold action, modernize, and go to the next generation of what you already have built with a much better, more advanced, more mm -hmm. modern kind of solution in 2016. And now, of of course, you have had a good growth to get here. How do you see that your next bold move would be, or how do you see the next five to 10 years from your perspective, where you would like to see this type of uh, functionality and this kind of business to go and grow? Yeah. So we touched on this uh, towards the start of this segment, the, the destination that we have is ultimately to use our strong position as a next-generation IPaaS uh, with thousands of customers to be able to expand our reach so that we can automate any type of business process in multiple different ways. So uh, as we talked about before, there are 
the, the lines become a little bit blurry when, when you talk about workflows, the, the human-centric workflows versus the machine-to-machine workflows that typically defines integration. There's the RPA space, uh, robotic process automation. That's another way to be able to use um, screen scraping type technologies to be able to run certain simplistic automations. There is process mining where we, because everything ultimately uh, we do is around a business process and, uh, and being able to automate that. But not only automate, but also to optimize those business processes. So if you really think about the process mining technology, it's, it's really taking a step back and looking at well-established business processes and seeing whether that's efficient, uh, where are some of the bottlenecks and how can you, first you have to be aware, you have to be informed about it. And then you have, uh, there are certain actions that you can take to make sure that the various uh, alternative paths that a business process might take can also be optimized uh, so that the, ultimately that particular business process is running as well as it could. So that's the the larger um, ambitious goal that we have in the next three to five years, and we are we're certainly working on this. In the shorter term, I think uh, we we are we want to take our brand of the way we do integration to a much larger audience. The product has been built to serve any type uh, of company in any industry, any size. And we think that there is a lot more that we can do. Uh, Traditionally, we've been a little bit underfunded and we've now gotten to a point where we did have a Series C round uh, more than a year back, uh, and we we're pretty excited mm-hmm. in terms of how we can use our product, which we think is really good, is um, the the biggest asset that we have, and and being able to take this product to a much broader audience. And we've really been working behind the scenes on our go to market strategy, and I'm pretty happy with where we are in terms of that initiative uh, today as well. Fantastic. Um, At the end, I would like to ask you if uh, there is a book or some books that you would like to recommend. Yeah, so uh, in general, I don't have one favorite book. It just depends on (laughs) a particular time where there is a particular thing that I'm working on or the company is going through. And there's one right now. Uh, and the the recent conversations, let's say over the last six months, have always been, what does good look like? And what does great look like? And I think you'll know where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Jim Collins uh Good to great book. I've read all his books. Uh, I love the the research that they do, and this is a book that really resonates for me right now. On how do you take something that's that's good and deliberately plan to make it great and be obsessive about it? Yeah, fantastic book. Loved it. Yeah, great. Thank you very much again for joining us. Uh, Uh, Wish you all the best. Thank you, Aman, for having me.
Thank you for listening to SaaS Scaled with Arman Ishragi. For show notes and any resources mentioned in today's episode, go to sasscaled.com. If you're enjoying our show, give us a five-star review and share on LinkedIn. And be sure to subscribe for any updates on future episodes. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y dot com.